Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks, everyone. You can have a seat. And thank you, team, for leading us some of those beautiful songs and uh, spiced up. Whenever I hear the Christmas carols uh, at Christmas time, I always feel bad for so many people who, who maybe are not Christians and they have all these songs playing in their car. I, I, and they don't know what they mean. Like, I feel bad. And I had this idea. Like, I wish I had the job of sitting in a passenger seat with people who hear, like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And they sing it, but they're like, what is the song about? I'm like, let me explain it to you. You know, I just, I, I wish I had that job of just uh, explaining a little bit more of the Christmas story to people. And, and actually, if you're here for the first time, one of the things we're going to do is just kind of explain and share a little bit of, uh, of what Christmas means to us. And, and I don't know, like, when we were thinking about this as a staff and as a team, even as our elders, we thought, we feel like Christmas morning is important. We would gather. And I thought, maybe five people will show up. <laughs> You know, you never really know the busyness of it all, but I want to say I'm really proud of many of you who maybe rearranged your schedules, you had other things going on, and you're still going to celebrate with your family, but you just said, we want to be here. We want to be here because we really believe it matters to learn and to grow and to almost set a marker that what we're going to do next should be shaped by what happens now and what we learn about this morning. For some of you, maybe this is brand new, And this is kind of an experience that you're not used to, especially if you're here for the first time, like a special welcome to you. If you're watching online for the first time, uh, we're just so happy that you've tuned in. Maybe you're still in your pajama, whatever, or uh, with a cup of coffee, or maybe you're watching this like in July. I don't know, you know, the internet is that way. You could pop up and watch this anytime. Uh, we just really believe that there's something special about this morning and what this means. And I think that at Christmas time, all of us feel this. We all have these expectations of what should happen at this time. We have expectations with our families. We have expectations of what kind of gifts we're going to get. How many people open gifts already? Open gifts already? Yeah. How many of you are happy with what you got? No? Half of the room. No. All right. I, I asked my wife all week. I'm like, hon, what did you get me? What did you? She kept getting nervous and nervous. I'm like, were you listening to me? I've expected. No, I'm just kidding. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. My kids have expectations as well. You know, this week, my kids were asking me about this morning and they're like, dad, like, are you going to preach for a long time? <laughs> so they have expectations. And I said, you better believe it. People show up at Christmas, they want to hear some preaching. We're going to go for hours this morning. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, not that long. But we have expectations. And I, I think actually the holidays bring to the surface all these expectations we have that sometimes we don't even mention. Like expectations that people would help after everybody eats. Expectations that people would be on time to your Christmas party. <laughs> Expectations that maybe you have that you thought people would have called you to say Merry Christmas and they didn't. Parents have expectations of meeting with their kids who they haven't seen for a long time and that didn't happen. We all have these different expectations and maybe the holidays kind of, kind of heat up the expectations and we realize some of those expectations are not like met. They don't come together. You know, I've met with people throughout this year and I have expectations of them or you have expectations of me and what this is about. You know, when you learn about Christmas and you read the Christmas story, people in the Christmas story have expectations as well. They have all these expectations and one of the things they have to wrestle with is the expectation they have of God. You ever think about this? That during Christmas, we think about all the things we believe God should be doing. Like early on when I was kind of learning about God or learning about the Bible, I had this expectation. I don't know if you've had this. I had this expectation that if God was real, there'll be less suffering in the world. I don't know if you ever met anybody that believes that. I have people in my family who are atheists. They don't believe in God. I invited them to Christmas and they're like, it's like every other Sunday. We're not into church. You know, people like that, which is true. If you don't believe in this, it's just an extra Sunday to sleep in. 
And at some point, maybe for them, they had an expectation that if God was real and if God was loving and if God was caring, there would be less violence, less suffering, less problems. And so those expectations really didn't come together for them. You know, people in the Christmas story, they have expectations of God as well. And I think one of the things that I'm just going to guess here, that I think people in the Christmas story and people of us, we feel the tension of what it means to expect God to act the way one of the people in the Christmas story act. If you don't have a Bible, you don't know this, I'm going to read it in a few minutes from the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the, the stories of Christmas that we have in our Bible. And when you read the story, you're not ready for how Luke introduces us. Actually, we don't expect that Luke is going to tell us about Christmas by telling us about one of the most powerful people in the world at the time of Christmas in the Bible. This is what he says. I'm going to read it for you, and it's on the screen. Luke says this to us. It's profound. He says, In those days, Caesar Augustus, the emperor, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the census that was taken. It goes on, and, and everyone went to their own town to register. Maybe you, you remember this passage. Maybe you've heard it before. I think a lot of people at Christmas expect God to be something like an emperor, someone who makes decrees and people listen. You know, I think if I was God, that's how I would use my powers. If I was God, I would just make people do things that I want them to do. In the ancient world, there was one person who had the power to make decrees and who listened? Everyone went to their own town. There's no social media posts. There's no complaining. Like, think of someone you know in your family who this Christmas will complain the most about the government. Think of them right now. And if they're in their, this room, just point them out. Just say they're right over there, right there. My dad, he's crazy. Whatever. Think of someone you know who will complain the most about the government. Think about it. Why would they complain? Because they have expectations. If the government did what they wanted to, they wouldn't complain about the government. In the first Christmas, Luke tells us, by the way, the Christmas story happened in a time where nobody complained about the government. Where people who complained about the government disappeared. When a decree happened, some people went and some people complained. No, no, no. Everybody went to the town. They went. They did what the emperor said was going to happen. And I think for some people, their expectation of God is that he would be like an emperor, like, but just a friendly version of an emperor, that he would make decrees and laws and he would say things and then people would do it. And when God doesn't do that, we're like, what kind of God is this? What kind of God just kind of lets people work stuff out? That's not what we need. We need power. We need authority. We need an emperor. But we want him to be friendly. You ever hear the phrase like a, a benevolent dictator? It's to be a dictator, but to be friendly. I think for so many people, that's what they want God to be. But at Christmas, our expectation of what we think God should be gets shattered. Because we're left with thinking about what is happening in this story and how is God going to handle a world where an emperor who gets to decide whatever he wants controls everything in the known world and is so powerful controls the world. I just want to maybe help you understand who this emperor is. And Luke and everybody who's reading the Christmas story, they know. This emperor, his name, his name wasn't Caesar Augustus, that's a title, but his name was Gaius Octavius. That's his real name. Actually, when I was really younger, I thought, if I ever get a dog, I'm going to name him Octavius or whatever. Uh, I just love the name, right? And in the year 27 BC, he actually becomes emperor. And, and that's when he gets the title Augustus. Actually, the month of August comes from that name, Augustus. And it's this idea that at this point, Rome had finally found their, her leader. The emperor would be the one in charge of all of the empire. And people were so relieved because scholars believe that until this point, Rome had been living for about like 15 to 20 years under civil war, constant civil war. Just think about it, living under continuous war. Many of us don't even have to think about it. You turn on the news and you watch what's happening around the world and you're like, can you imagine the people this Christmas in the Ukraine? Can you imagine this year people in Russia? Some who agree, who disagree, who fight, family members, constant civil war. What would that make us feel like to live in constant civil war? It's never safe to sleep. At any point, people can get assassinated. At any point, we can have a new ruler. The stock market, let me tell you, it's up and down, so you're not investing anything. 
You're not writing books. You're not thinking about the future. You're not preparing for your kids and what's going to come next. You're in a civil war. And now the civil war has ended. It's ended, and the person who ended it, his name is Gaius Octavius. You know what quickly happened in the ancient world when this happened? Many people realized that there was something special about this man, and maybe the gods were on his side. Maybe the gods were on his side, and the gods gave him the power to end the civil war and bring peace to the empire. Think about just the feeling of, like, peace. You think of peace and just peace and quiet. You think of this idea. The emperor was so committed to this, this emperor, that he actually built an altar. And it was called the altar of peace. I actually have a picture of it, and you can see it in the slide. Just go back to the slide there. This altar next to the emperor is this this altar that you would go in, and later emperors would build a temple around the altar, which was a reminder that if we wanted peace, we just had to keep sacrificing to the gods, and we would experience peace in the Roman Empire. Just peace and quiet. Just peace from all the noise. Peace from everything that's going on. And so much so that there's a phrase that people still use today. Maybe you've heard this phrase. It's called the Pax Romana. Any of you heard the phrase? The Pax Romana is this wonderful phrase that everybody in the Bible knows and everybody in Rome knows, which is called the peace of having Rome in charge. It means the peace of God or the peace of the Roman Empire. That if we have an emperor like this, we would all be in peace. I know many people this year, they want some peace in their life. I know many of us just want people to leave us alone. When you think of peace, I don't know what comes to mind. Just think about it. What would a peaceful Christmas mean for you? Some of you are like, to be by myself without my crazy family. How many of you are like, no cooking or cleaning to be, oh, okay. Touch the nerve there. All right, let's pray. Let's pray right now. Peace. I think of just some peace and quiet. Maybe after family leaves and you just settle down and put your feet up and just some peace. See, we live in a world that offers us these options of what it would look like if things were all peaceful. What would it look like if the right leaders were in charge, if the right government was in charge? And you know, when Christmas happens, the Roman Empire has provided just that to the world. He's created a peaceful empire. He's created some hope for the people. So much so that people will say, this emperor, he should be the son of God. For sure the gods are with him. That he's created this kind of peace for us. You know, in our culture... You know this. Nobody goes around talking about the peace of Rome or the peace of the emperor or, you know, just peacefulness. Nobody does that, right? But we have another word that we use, and I think it's the most common way to understand what was happening on that first Christmas. We all long for just a season of the Christmas spirit. Have you ever said this to you this week? Somebody said this to me. It was last week they said this to me. I was like shopping, and they asked if I'd give a donation, and I gave a donation, and I heard a person in the background says, oh, that's the Christmas spirit. I was like, that's amazing. I don't know what that is. But it sounds like right. Like, are you in the Christmas spirit? And if you would be, what would that mean? See, our world is looking for exactly what the Roman emperor provided everybody in the first Christmas. Peace, relaxation, some joy. And I was wrestling with this. I'm thinking like, you know, what does the Christmas spirit mean in a world that wants just peace, everything to go smooth? Let's do whatever the emperor says. If he tells us to go, we're going to go. Let's not cause any problems. No more war. Everybody's relaxed, everybody's happy. That there's actually an article that was written by some scientists. They, they were trying to define what is the Christmas spirit. It's, it's in Scientific America. You go to the slide. And they basically were writing about what does it mean when people say that they're in the Christmas spirit? Take a minute. What do you think the article said? That people would be generous. You agree? Christmas spirit? That people would be joyful. Right? As you read the article, they kind of say the opposite of whatever the Grinch is. <laughs> whatever the Grinch or Scrooge is, be the opposite of that, and you'd be in the Christmas spirit. And I think for a lot of people, that's all they want for Christmas. Just their family to be in the Christmas spirit. No conflict. Just no conflict. Let's get along. And if that's all we needed, Jesus would have came as a counselor. If that's all we needed, Jesus would have came as a therapist. But Luke tells us that peace and quiet and the Christmas spirit is not what we need. Luke actually tells us something else is happening. As the emperor is managing peace, this is what Luke tells us happens on that first Christmas. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that you will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You can go back to that slide there. This is what Luke tells us happened. So keep in your mind, just for a minute, who's in control of the whole world? The emperor of Rome. Caesar Augustus is managing peace, making sure everything's going okay. And in the middle of this moment, in the middle of the most powerful ruler in the world, Luke says, God is doing something nobody expects. And he's about to enter the world that seems so peaceful to certain people. And he's about to enter that world and act like a God who's not just an emperor. He doesn't just come with decrees. He doesn't just come with laws. He comes in a different way that none of us maybe expect. Can I be honest with you? I wouldn't have expected God to come like this. I, I would have been like, wait a second. God, like in a baby, like we don't even need God. Everything's going great. Have you met them? Have you seen the emperor? He's winning battles. There's peace across the empire. Everything is great. COVID is settled down. Investments are up. Everything is great. We know this. When things are great in our lives, we hardly pray. If everything is manageable in your life and your kids are getting along and the bills are paid, who even needs to pray or ask God for anything? If you're fine with just the spirit of Christmas. But Luke says that's not what this is about. This is about something much deeper. And he tells us something so important that as this is happening, God is at work and he's going to use these shepherds who are in a field watching their sheep. If you know a little bit about the story of the Bible, you know that shepherds are really important in the Bible. I mean, for us, it kind of is weird because we're like, you know, I, don't, I never met anyone who's really young with their kids and asked their kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the kids say, a shepherd. And the parents say, go get him, tiger. Nobody says that. We're like, a shepherd's, you know, maybe you think of a farmer. But the shepherds in the ancient world were so important. They're important because they know of another shepherd who one day God used to help his people in a difficult time. Maybe you know him. He's the famous shepherd who killed Goliath. His name was David. I think anybody who became a shepherd in the Bible always hoped that one day they would be a little bit like David. Maybe all of the shepherds got a sling and they all did, oh, I think David would have done it like this. It's like how when you watch little kids watch Lionel Messi in the World Cup. Anyone have that experience? Like your kids never play sports. They watch the World Cup, they want a soccer ball and a net in the backyard in the winter storm. Not that that happens at our house, but wink, wink. There's people that inspire you, you want to be like them, and these shepherds probably thought there was a great shepherd once that God used, and his name was David. And maybe God will use us. And Luke is saying God is about to do something away from all the fame and the flash of the empire, away from the person who seems like he has control and peace over everything, away from all of that. God is preparing something else. Not someone who just comes with the Christmas spirit. Not someone who just brings us some calm and peace. Someone who must be received as a savior. As a savior. Can I encourage you this year to maybe consider that while the world offers us a bit of the Christmas spirit, Jesus says to us, you can only welcome me as your savior. There is nothing else. I think for so many of us, it's so easy to even get a little bit of that Christmas spirit and to feel like we, we made it through the holidays and everything is working out and to just wash our hands and wait for the next big event, the next big party. And, and at Christmas, we realize that God says, wait a second, you would never see this, but you actually need a Savior because the Christmas spirit is not the thing that will heal your soul. It will not. It might give you some peace and quiet in your house. It might give you maybe less dishes to wash. But what you need is a savior. You know, these shepherds, one of their jobs was to, to take sheep and to have them in a field. And you can go to the slide. You can go back to the slide. And, and, and what they did is they raised sheep. And if you don't know anything about the ancient world, one of the most important jobs you had is when you gave people a sheep, especially the sheep that they would buy from you to sacrifice, the shepherd would be responsible for that. 
Anybody in the ancient world who brought a sheep to be sacrificed for worship wanted to know the shepherds and if they had done a good job. Like maybe like think about when you buy a car, right? There's a lot of things to hide in a car. You buy a car, how many of you buy a car and you're like, I'm going to do an inspection of an inspection with a friend who knows a guy who does an inspection before I... Because what if they hide things? What if we don't see things? The shepherds were those who inspected certain things. They inspected the sheep. They had an eye to see for what a good sheep looked like versus one that wasn't good enough to be brought to the altar. And these shepherds, were told, are the ones that the angels come to. And the angels say to them, the angels, there's a sense of terrified, and the angel says, no, 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 this is, this is great news. This is great news. God is coming to save his people, and he wants you to be a part of that. And think about that. These shepherds now, they're like overwhelmed with wondering what's going to happen next. And this is what we're told happens in the story. It's a pretty profound moment. It says this, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in, cl- in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Maybe you never thought of this before. But can I just let you know that the shepherds are the best people to inspect whether this baby in a manger is really the one who's going to save the people? Their whole job was to be inspectors of whether this was true. And the shepherds are the ones that go, and the angel says to them, you're going to go, and this is what you should look for. This is a sign. I mean, I don't know about you. Seeing one angel would have been enough for me. I would have been like, okay, I'm good with that. We got to go, guys. I don't even know. I'm that terrified. And all of a sudden... We're basically told, Luke says, when the shepherds kept telling the story, they said it wasn't just one angel. All of a sudden, we heard and saw the hosts of angels who started to sing, and we realized that there's something about this baby in Bethlehem that is not only a savior for here, for us on earth, but there's something about this baby that is connected to basically the cosmic world of the universe, that the angels are singing and pointing us in this direction to go see this baby. How many of you know people who would never even go see the baby? How many of you know people that would be so inconvenienced to be like, I'm not going, let's break this down. You saw an angel at night with other shepherds and they were singing to you guys? Yeah? Okay, that's great. But we're going to go to Bethlehem because there's going to be a sign there. We're not going to Bethlehem. We don't even care. We're not, like, you know, if it gets too cold outside, people like cancel their, their trip, right? They're like, I, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going anywhere. These shepherds now have to basically go to Bethlehem. They have to bring their sheep with them. They're obviously not leaving the sheep in the field. They're going to bring their sheep and they're looking for this sign. They're looking to inspect whether this is true. I think about this every year when I read the Christmas story. I think about something that Luke does that the other writers of the Bible don't do. If you're new to the Christmas story, you might not know this, but some of the writers in the Christmas story tell us about Jesus just in his human earthly form. The Gospel of John, who's another writer, he tells us about Jesus from the heavenly perspective, right? But Luke in this moment is going to hold both of those two together and he's going to say God is speaking to shepherds and by the way, angels are also there and he holds together the heavenly perspective and the earthly perspective together. Have you ever thought about what it would have looked like from the angel's perspective, what's happening on earth as Jesus comes? Have you ever wondered what that would be like? Like, we know what it's like to be a human and to hear the story. We doubt. We have questions. Some of us are excited. Some of us are just happy with the Christmas spirit. We're just fine with the emperor running things. We don't want to get too crazy. And some of us just can't admit that we need a savior to save us. We're just not there. We're just happy with things the way they are. You know how hard it would be to admit that you need a savior? You know how hard it would be to admit that everything we've tried and everything we've done and even all of the good things are not enough to heal the brokenness that is not only the brokenness in the world, but the brokenness in our own hearts, that we would need a savior to come. Many of us would be happy if Jesus just came as a life coach. That's it. Because a savior, that's complicated. Oof. If, he, if he's coming as a savior, that means he's going to expect us to have to worship him. I'm not ready for that. 
I'm good with some teaching, some tips, some go get him, but a savior. Years ago, I thought about this. I wrestled with what it would look like from a different perspective. And I read this book, and it's a, it's a little short book, and I want to just maybe give you a chance to think about it. What do you think it would have been like from the perspective of angels seeing the God of heaven come down to be with a bunch of just disastrous humans like us? Just think about it. Any examples of what you think about? I, I thought of this example, and it's probably super cheesy. Okay, so some of you are not going to like it. You're going to judge me, but too bad. I just think about like maybe sports is on my mind, so I think about soccer or I think about like sports. And I, I just think about like somebody who's a, who's a athlete and shows up and he's with a bunch of kids from high school. They have movies like this and these kids can't play. They can't like, they can't run. They don't know the rules. And he just shows up and says, let me just, you know what? I feel bad for you. Let me just step in and kind of, I'm going to show you guys how to win. You know, I think people think that that's what Jesus does. He just shows up and helps us to kind of win the game because he's better than the rest of us. But that's not what this is about. It's not just Jesus coming to help us. It's Jesus coming to heal something as God and taking on human form to be like us, to restore something about what it means to be human. That's more than Jesus just coming to help us have a good day or a good week. There's a writer who wrote a book, and he called the book The Visit. And basically, he wrote in the book what it would have looked like for the angels to talk with each other as they wrestled with what it was that Jesus was doing. As they talked with each other, they, they're just like, did he really just go down there to be with them? And the story goes that two angels are talking, and I just have a little like short snippet of that book just for you to hear what maybe it would have felt like for the angels to think about that Christmas. This is what it says. Maybe it'll help you think about it in your own life. You'll see it on the screen. Just put it up there. Do you mean to tell me one angel saying to the other, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creepy, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you calling them creepy, crawling creatures. For as strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. I mean, reading this and thinking, it's true. Like, Christmas is not only confusing for us as humans, it's also incredibly confusing for angels who are like, what? How much could he possibly love them that he would go and be among them so that they would understand his love? You see, all of the angels in heaven worship God. That's not new. But we are the ones, like those shepherds, invited to worship a God who says to us, I loved you more than anything you could have ever imagined. That in our worship, we don't come just to worship God, but we come and we receive a God who says, as you're worshiping me, let me just remind you of how much I love you and how much I would go to to make sure that you understood my love for you. Remember, we have the earthly experience of what it means to be shepherds, and you have this cosmic experience that we can't even fathom or understand. Do any of you remember where the shepherds are heading? The shepherds are on their way too. Bethlehem. They're on their trip. They're kind of on their way. How many of you think they're like doubting at this point? How many of you think they are like, I don't know, guys, like if there's no sign there of a manger, this is going to be so weird. I don't know what we're going to explain to our boss that we took some time off to go find this baby because we saw angels. It's, we're, we're all fired. We're, it's not going to work. But they go. And Luke tells us not only that they go, but when they get there, they see Mary and Joseph, and Jesus. Can't imagine that moment. Not only for the shepherds, but maybe for the first time for Mary and Joseph to be reminded that God did speak to them. That God was really with them. You know, we all need these moments in our lives. We need these little moments of confirmation that God shows us that He was really there with us. That He really did love us when we felt that nobody loved us when we really felt that he was paying attention to the things we prayed about, when we felt like our prayers kind of went nowhere. Maybe you need that this year. Maybe you think of this year in your life in 2022, and you would say, I don't know if I've really sensed God being near to me. I've had stress, I've had anxiety, I have certain pressures, I have conflict. Maybe this morning for you, God wants to remind you that he's actually been there beginning to prepare you for what he's going to do now and what it means that Jesus comes to show you and me that he loves us. 
I'm not sure like what this might look like for you. I'm not sure how terrifying it would be for you to realize that Jesus comes to be our Savior. Someone who can save us from what it means that we've broken in a sinful way and disordered the whole world. Our world is fine with Jesus if he's a good teacher. Our world is fine with Jesus if Christmas is about the Christmas spirit. Our world is even fine if we're generous and give each other gifts. Everybody does that. But our world has no no category for what it means that Jesus comes and says, I must be your savior now. And you must welcome, welcome me because I will demand that you worship me. It would have been insane to get to this baby in a manger and be like, this is the God of the universe. And we must worship him. We must revisit all of our values, everything that we do, everything that we thought about our lives, and we have to redirect it now to worshiping this God. It's so hard for us to understand this. Because we've made worship an event, a song, hands in the air, whatever. All those things are important. They help us to worship. But at Christmas, the shepherds are like when we got there. We saw, we saw the one. For those of you who just want to go a step further, can I just show you one last thing? And you have it in you? Yeah? Some of you are okay? Some of you are like, I'm dozing off. This is where I usually fall asleep on Christmas Day. I just want to show you one of the most beautiful ways that another writer in the Bible writes about what is happening in this moment, that there are no better words to express what is happening. I wouldn't have better words. You don't have better words. Nobody's ever come up with better words to explain what's going to happen. And that's in the Gospel of John. Let me read it for you, and you'll see it on the screen. It says this, And the word Jesus, He, this Jesus, God, became flesh, became a human, and dwelt among us. And he beheld his, and we beheld his glory. We saw him. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in his bosom, in his presence of the Father, he has declared him to us. I haven't seen this on a Christmas card for a long time. Do you know how hard it is to explain this? I honestly, this week, as I was preparing my sermon, I turned to my wife and I said, hey, babe, I want to explain something to you that I'm going to share at Christmas. And she looked at me in the most, you know, peaceful, kind way. And she's like, babe, but you have to make it simple. (laughs) And I'm like, there is no way to make this simple. There is completely no way. That's why there's no song. There's no like little hangout at Christmas. This is like a 13-week theology class. But if you only show up today, it's so hard for you to feel the beauty and the hope and the cosmic picture of the fact that in that child, God has taken on human flesh. Not just the human flesh of a man, the human flesh of humanity. Remember that. This is a very important Christian idea, that Jesus is redeeming humanity. All of human nature is being restored in this moment as he comes and takes on our human flesh. And now, guess what? He's going to learn how to eat, burp, throw up, spit, poop, like all of us. Can you imagine? Mary and Joseph were like, man, raising God, I thought it'd be easier. I thought he, would be, he wouldn't have to do any of those things. I would be saying that. I'm like, he, he has a toothache? What? Isn't he God? Everything of what it means to be human, Jesus assumes. He assumes. And John says to us, this is the one who if you want to know what God is like, you look at him. If you want to know how much God loves you and me, look at how Jesus treats people that everybody ignores. Watch what it looks like that this Jesus from the beginning of his life is going to start to pick up his cross. Not just his cross when he's going to be crucified on it. Like his whole ministry is being among us in the brokenness of our world. I think of the many times in my family where we've had Christmas dinner and if Jesus only sat at the table, I just had a picture of Jesus going like this. Any of you? You're like, what have we, how many times have I yelled? Okay, Jesus, I'm sorry. All right. Like, just you feel like the brokenness that Jesus would come and the angels are like, what has he done? How much could he possibly love them that he would go and be 
like with them? How long is he gone for? Like, is he going for a week? They're like, no, no, he's, he's there for a while. 33 years. Average. The shepherds invite us after their inspection. And they realize this is the one. That Luke tells us that this is what happens next. It's profound. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There's a moment in our lives when we realize that Jesus has come to save us. There's a moment in our lives where we have to decide whether we really believe and where we're willing to be honest enough to say, I need someone to come and be my savior. And this is one of the most liberating moments of anyone's life. You know why? Because it's the day you realize that you're not the savior of the world. It's the day you realize that you're not the one that's going to hold your family together. It's the day you realize that you're not the one who's going to hold your company together, your marriage together. You're not the one who's going to do any of that. You're the one who's going to surrender and admit that there's another one who's going to save the situation. And the way he does it is not the way you want him to do it. He's not going to have a decree and he's not going to tell everybody, I'm the savior of the world, you go here, you do that. You know why? Because God is not controlling. He's in control, but he's not controlling. And many of us want a God that comes that way. Many of us wanted Jesus to be a little bit more like an emperor, but friendly. But instead, he comes as a child. And he says, those who are tired of living their lives for themselves, those, are tired, those who are tired of trying to save a broken world, to fix the mess of this world, will come and they will understand that I'm the only one who can save them. I'm going to give you one sign that Luke tells us that everybody who welcomes Jesus as a Savior does. Anybody who's ever met Jesus and has gotten to that point where they've said, Jesus, you came to save me. After that, shared that with other people. I know people during the holidays who will just go to a good restaurant and can't stop talking about it. They just went to a good like, show and they're like, it was amazing, you got to go. And actually, they do reviews. Five stars, four stars. Right? We, we share all kinds of things. And the shepherds are these ones who are going to say, listen, after we saw him, we could not not share of the fact that we had welcomed him as the real savior that we've been waiting for. This is the one who comes not only like King David, but he is even greater than David. But it'll take a while to see that because he's a baby. And they would have to tell others about this. And I think of how hard and how frustrating it would have been for the shepherds when they told people and people are like, guys, you know what? We'd love to believe you, but we're not sure. I don't know. The band's just going to come up and just play one last song for us. And I want to just encourage you, you know, before we let you go, before you head home and enjoy some family time or maybe some rest or maybe just some quiet time to reflect, can I just warn you of how easy it would be to settle for just a bit of the Christmas spirit. To settle for just a little bit of peace and quiet this year. To settle for things to just not be too busy for your life. And to miss that Jesus does not come just as someone who helps us with some marriage issues. He doesn't just come with someone who helps us have a good day. He comes and he says to us, each of us, I'm the only one who could have saved you from this mess. And I didn't send you a sign. I didn't send you like just a picture in the sky. I, I came as myself. I came to be among you so that you would not only welcome me as your Savior, but that you would know what it's like to live as those who have been saved. Each of us, we get a chance this Christmas, to just say in our hearts, Jesus, you actually came to save me, to restore the things in me that need to be restored. 
I want to close and I know it's going to get loud and kids are going to run around in a minute so I'm going to just have you just close your eyes just this morning maybe you're online and you're watching and you want to do this with us if it helps not if you're driving of course if Jesus could touch one area of your life what would that be? if he could put his finger on one thing that needs to be healed that only he can heal what would that thing be? Maybe it's your anger that comes from a heart that's filled with bitterness. Only Jesus can heal that. He doesn't have tips for you. He has himself. Maybe for you, you're just tired and it's your body just reminding you that you are human and you have limits. You are not the Savior. And Jesus wants to heal the pressure you put on yourself to fix everything and fix all the problems. And Jesus is like, let me touch this now. I am the only Savior. The Christmas spirit and some time off will not heal this. I will touch it now. Maybe for some of you, you're just so cynical. A cynical person always sees something bad in everything. Cynical people never experience real hope. Maybe Jesus needs to heal that. Your heart is so hard that even if Jesus spoke to you, you would ignore him and have an excuse for why he's not speaking to you. Cynicism is so brutal. Maybe that's you. Jesus, let him touch that and heal a hardened heart. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you're upset that God didn't decree that they would be better. And this Christmas, Jesus is like, let me just give you a, a kind of peace that will help you understand why that had to happen in this season. I'm going to ask you quietly and to yourself to say one thing before the band leads us in the song. I want you to say to yourself, Jesus, you came to be my Savior. What would it mean for you this year to move from just saying that to believing it? Because if you did, the freedom, the freedom of knowing that it's not on you to hold all this together. Let Jesus do what he knows how to do. Let's sing the song before we close. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. You open my eyes. Let me see the beauty that made this heart of you, the hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to
time where uh, the interesting phenomenon that's happening around the world when somebody makes a mistake or says something inappropriate companies have a whole team of people that are set aside to detach or to stop associating associate themselves with a person who says something inappropriate it's a whole industry of being with people and saying when you do something weird we don't want to be with somebody who embarrasses us if you're a parent you feel this when your kids get to high school Leave me uh, five blocks away from my school, but it's freezing. Don't worry, I'm going to walk. There's a certain culture of saying, don't be around people who are going to embarrass you. Don't be around people who are going to give your brand a bad name. How quickly can we get rid of them? They said the wrong things. This year, for the first time, it dawned on me that God could have said that about each of us. We want nothing to do with them. They're an embarrassment. It's a mess. To be a human would be the worst thing. And Jesus is like, I will never be embarrassed of God is never embarrassed of you and me. Never. Maybe you feel far from God because you feel embarrassed. Or you feel you've done some things that make you kind of, kind of a mess to people. And maybe this Christmas, you would hear Jesus say, there's nothing you can do that would make you an embarrassment to me. There's nothing you can do that would make me cancel you and ignore you or say that I don't want to be associated with you. Nothing. Instead, Jesus says, I will come. I will come and walk with you and lead you in the way of hope when you feel everyone else has abandoned you. I will be that. Maybe this year the world is looking for people who believe that in such a real way that when all they see is shame and embarrassment, they meet those who've been loved and welcomed by God. They meet those who know what it's like to say, there's one who forgives even the biggest mistakes. There's one who's not ashamed to say, I will go and be among them. And his name is Jesus, our Savior. Let's just pray before we go. Father, we are aware of the temptation to settle for just a bit of the Christmas spirit at this time of year. 
the temptation of just some extra rest, hanging out with friends and some gifts. But this morning we thank you for the gift of the shepherds who went to tell us and to tell the world that they had seen the Savior. The Savior, not one who would come and decree and force us and control things, but who would come and be among us and model for us a life that would require the cross for him. And so today we know that this is a lot and maybe a lot, so much to process, but we ask that you would help us, no matter where we are in our lives, to welcome you, Jesus, as a Savior, as a Savior who comes to restore our world but to heal our lives, and that you would help us to confess and to admit that we need you even before we even understand the fullness of who you are. As we go now, we ask that you would help us to go and live out of the joy that we see that the shepherds had. That as they left praising and sharing with others, that others would know that there's a new joy that is bubbling up in us that they too can share in. A God who's not embarrassed or ashamed, but one who comes to heal us. Would you be glorified in this this year? And would this Christmas be a marker for some of us of a new decision to let you be our Savior and our Lord? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everyone. Let me just say a special Merry Christmas from our church to you, your family. It's, I can't express what an honor it is to be a pastor, to be leading, to see many of you as you grab your kids, just know we just consider it such a joy. If you're able to participate and help, you know, as we finish the year end, many of you know this, to be generous towards the church, that would be very, very helpful. But if we don't get a chance to say hi, we love you. God bless you. Merry Christmas, everyone. See you soon.